this is this is this is this this is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. Welcome back, everybody. So, thank you for doing this episode with me. First of all, Absolutely. I'm very honored to have you on here tonight. This whole volume series is uh, is, was, is really dope. Um, and it's all thanks to your, your contributions on that. So thank you. Absolutely. So this is episode 24, y'all. Um, Prowess of Testament is here with me tonight. And we're going to get to go deep into her life and uh, go into her hip-hop roots and uh, learn her story. So yeah. where does hip-hop begin with you, Prowess? Um, oh, hip hop. So I think most people, if some people may know, I grew up in a musical household that my, um, one of my uncles played for the Drifters and the Gap Band and the Temptations. He played guitar for a lot of people. Um, he wrote uh, a number one hit called Don't Stop the Music. I mean, everybody usually mostly knows that song. Don't you stop it. Don't you stop. You know, it was the hit of the 80s, I guess. That kind of defined, I think, for our family, a certain tone, I think, that everybody came in because everybody played an instrument. I never grew up in a household where there wasn't musicians in my household. Uh, my uncle played for Chuck Brown for 25 years, so um, played bass for him. So I've been in a household where there's always been musicians around. Uh, my uncle played for Eric Benet, Shaka Khan, I mean, SWV, gosh, he played for a lot of people. Um, as a studio musician. So being around music was just always there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of where my hip hop journey started because I think I kind of got introduced to hip hop, which is go-go and hip hop. People send, uh, think, feel like in DC it has a contentious relationship or there's a lot of tension between those two sides. And for me, it's mm -hmm. always been a conver convergence of those two sides because, you know, seeing DC Scorpio, rap over go-go and that sort of made me feel that way uh feel you know feel connected to the music in that way and um when i was in about first or second grade i went to houston elementary school i probably was in first grade and de la soul came to my school with prince paul with stessa sonic they were on tour together um with, with i con conveniently with like jj fad it was a weird tour that the three of them together but well not de la and, and, uh, and stessa sonic but it's weird that jj fad was <laughs> somewhere with them but anyway they they came to my school you know a dc public school and called houston elementary school in northeast and i just from that moment like i felt like that was something i could do seeing them on stage seeing them perform it became real to me and I, we got to take a photo like six of us got to gather around maceo and take a photo and i feel like that changed my life to make me think that there was like i could crystallize this into a thing yeah. And um, well, what, what, what elementary school was that again? I, I missed that one. Uh, Houston Elementary School, Charles Hamilton Houston um, Elementary School in Northeast and uh, Deanwood. Got you. Mm -hmm. So, so coming up, um, who who were your mentors that, that got you into the NCN uh, art? Um, so, I mean, I feel like I had a lot of mentors. I feel like mentoring is, um, you know, there's accidental mentors or unintended mentors. 
Um, and one of the funniest things I joke about saying my grandfather was probably my first mentor because he used to take me everywhere with him. And my grandfather would go to, it's a club here called Ebony and it's um, right across the, the DC Eastern Avenue line, um, Sheriff Road line. So he would take me there and it was, I mean, it was an atmosphere for old men to sit around, eat ribs and drink beer and, you know, shoot the stuff, whatever. But me being like, I was like, you know, two, three, four, five, six years old when he would take me. And um, I, I was, I've always been around that, like older men and sort of the reverence and the conversations that they were having. Like, I always feel like being a part of those conversations, that influences every bar I spit because there's constant gems. And I, my grandfather had constant gems. I mean, it was like, you could just put the mic on him and go and, you know, I could write a whole book on it. Someday I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to do that because he just had gems. And so a lot of those things that he would pour into me that I don't even know if he knew I was listening to. Um, and then my, my, that was in DC. So my, my parents had moved to Maryland and I stayed with my grandparents in DC. And my parents lived a few doors down from this elderly Jewish couple, Nani and Gramps. And Nani and Gramps were huge mentors to me too, because they were big into quantum mechanics and quantum physics, which, you know, you would think just like, I mean, they were deep into it. And so kind of going to their house all the time, like you think like a 70 year old couple is like my best friends, not their kids or their grandkids, right? I was, I would come over and be like, I'm here for, for, for Gramps. Nobody ever thought anything weird of that. They, they were like my grandparents, you know, when I would come to Maryland, cause I didn't have any friends there. I was the only black kid in the neighborhood. So I had nobody to play with. And that was like, those were that elderly Jewish couple, Nani and Gramps were some of those people that just like their teachings and teaching me about quantum physics. Um, I feel like that started my quest into science and science technology and, and mathematics and kind of got me on that quest. So I feel like that inspired a lot of my early, a lot of my early raps, <laughs> my, my style. Um, and then shortly thereafter, like I said, kind of getting started and doing music, people like John Robinson, AKA Lil Cy from Signs of Life, um, inspired me and mentored me early on in my career before I had a style, before I really even knew I was so much into Kemet and so much into, um, you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, cosmology. And so the, the, the concepts that were on the Signs of Life album just spoke to me so much. And um, so, yeah, he was he was instrumental in me getting started and just offer imparted wisdom and advice um, for me and really helped me think about like what I needed. Like I didn't know what I even needed to do a demo. I didn't know what a 16 was. I really didn't know what how many how to count bars, like stuff like that. Right. Like so those kinds of things that I needed to learn. He taught me those things. And then I mean, I want to say like my aunt, because she kind of really pushed me into hip hop because she was the first hip hop head I'd ever met. And when I say that, like, I mean, she was huge on native tongues. So she listened to tribe all day. She listened to Dela all day. The first time I had ever heard like cute, like just different things. She put me onto those things. Slick Rick. I mean, you know, for everything all the way up to Biggie, whoever, like every, all the music that inspired me, I usually got that from her. I learned it from her. Mm. So I, I was reading up on you. I was trying to do my homework on you, Prowess. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the connection between you and KRS-One? 
So KRS-One gave me the name Prowess. Before that, I had a different moniker. I was known as Naea. Um, it's funny. I was working for the Fader magazine. I was um, a uh, I was on their street team. They had this thing called the Farm Team, um, that was run by this this gentleman named uh, Theo Kittel, who is now like I think he's the director of marketing for Levi's or Pumas. One of the one of the two. Anyway, this was like his. He was in college at this time, running a bunch of you know loosely assembled folks. And they had, there was an event, the, the Temple of Hip Hop was doing a tour. And people like Earth, One, Enoch, Seventh Prophet, ZJ Soyo, they were all putting this together to develop opening acts for that tour. And so they were, there was auditions at 930 Club prior to KRS-One performing. And I think, as I said, it was Hip Hop Appreciation Week. It happened every, you know, year in May. And so he came here to, to 930 Club to do this um, audition. And when I got up to perform, like, we, you know, we lined up. Uh, Flex Matthews was there. I mean, Human Prophets was there, aka Jabari XM, like a lot of people know. I mean, there's so many people. Um, anyway, we all lined up to perform. And I got in line first. I was the first person in line. And I went up on stage first, and my shoe came off. So, you know, the whole audience is 930 Club, and they waiting for KRS-One. They don't want to see little kids come out and perform. You know, it's like uh, Big Daddy Kane is backstage, speech from Arrested Development. This is like who's performing on stage that night. And it's like they got us little kids lined up like an assembly line coming out to, to rap a 16, right? My shoe comes off after, like, bar two. So I have to just go off the cuff, you know, go off the head on my shoe coming off. <laughs> so the, when I got off stage, you know, it, it was like I had to convince this audience because they was, you know, they were not feeling it. So at that point, right, everybody started to like the performance and have fun. And it was like people were laughing with me and I was making jokes about it. So I get off the stage and KRS says, that's prowess. Like, you have prowess. And so when I, I took that and I said, I'm going to use that as a name. I haven't figured out what I'm going to use it for. It was like I was going to use it for a project name or something. But I wound up using it as my name. I changed my name at that point, like 05, 06. Um, shortly before, I actually took a hiatus for seven years. So that's a whole different thing. But <laughs> then the testament came because in high school, I was called Preach all the time or Malcolm X. That's what they would call me because I would always I was old, but my father would give me books, right? So my father was sort of developing my knowledge outside of the school system and teaching me. And I would come and try to impart all of that with my classmates, and they wasn't ready. So they'd be like, call me Preach or Malcolm X. And so the Testament came from, like, what can I use to represent that background? Um, and so that's how I became Proverbs of Testament. Okay. Okay. Dang. What, what What's up? No. I didn't see no one here. Yeah, no open here. <laughs> Showing love. Um, Tissue and the Tape. Tell me about that project. How, how did the whole project come about? And what's the story on uh, Tissue and the Tape? Yeah, so Tissue and the Tape is kind of a, a lifestyle. It's like a mantra. Um, okay. the, the first thing that I think, you know, we didn't have beats back then. I was, my name was, I first started out rapping. My name was Thug Passion, right? I had zero skill or ability of anything what we would do we wrote down the lyrics to the chronic you know just my cousin told me uh Ferragamo fresher dp said write down every single word you know right when they say a pause write pause when they say uh write uh when they say when when it's a space write a space you know learn every single intonation on the chronic and then we're going to use that as a template and then fill in the blanks like fill in your own words in between 
And so that was really the template for it. But what we didn't have no beats, right? So we learned how to do what is now referred to as like the pause record method where you take, you know, put tissue on the tape and you take and you, you know, play something on record and then you'd record it and then you'd hit pause when the sample part would end. And then you'd, you know, unpause when you um, ran the tape back, ran the, the sample back and you'd unpause and you'd pause and you, and that was essentially how we made our first beats, right? It was like, no, we didn't have um, even a turn. We had, my grandmother had a one turntable that was like, I mean, it was, it was from the twenties. The it was like a phonograph or something, you know? And we would use that and play records on. And we would like, and I would use, I had an ALF, which is so funny, an ALF that played tapes. So we put <laughs> tapes in the back of the ALF, right? And you could speed up that, because ALF saying it would be sped up. So, you know, put Ice Cube in there, like put, put death certificate in there and then play it. And then we'd be, you know, hit pause, pause. And then that's how you get vocal samples, right? So <laughs> that's how we would, that was the earliest start to like what tissue in the tape was. And his group was the Natural Born Soldiers. And um, and like I said, it was funny because it's all these guys, right? My cousin had to take me places because my grandmother would be like, you have to take her with you. And um, you, we go to the swimming pool and whatever. And so that was the thing is that I was, he was sharpening my sword the whole entire time with all of these guys to be like, you're going to have to be sharper than them. Because when I take you around, I can't have people like, this is my weakest link. You know what I mean? So he would take me, we would do battles at the swimming pool, at Rosedale swimming pool. My grandmother lived in, um, in Trinidad, but Tr Rosedale was like the neighborhood across, across the way, basically. Um, and we couldn't go swimming unless you, you know, we have to battle every, every time we would go swimming every day in the summer. And I was like the secret weapon. So they call them, you know, everybody come down to the swimming pool and it's like, oh, but I'm gonna get my cousin. And so that's kind of how I guess, the, the tissue and the tape will happen and just be like, so we come back and we will record whatever rhymes, like we write what we can, try to seed some rhymes and then just, you know, learn how to freestyle, basically. That's how I learn how to freestyle. Dang. <laughs> that is the alpha part, have you got? <laughs> I had that alpha, oh my goodness. I got rid of it, or well, my mother got rid of it when I was about 13. And I was so mad because I'm like, you know what? That alpha is worth so much money now, but that alpha got me through so much because that was like the first you could we our first like beat machine you know what i mean so dang <laughs> yeah. so so around this point it's like where where does the whole richmond uh part is does this does this richmond come later down the road um, um you... yeah that was kind of when i was younger then um so shortly thereafter it's funny because all these different people i feel like are are part of my life in some way but i met um high school this guy who um i started dating and it's funny because i think i don't even know how we met i believe we met like on the internet which is so weird because and you don't think about that now i think we met on the internet which uh, i think we met on instant messenger which i don't even know how to do that now like how would you you know i don't even know if that's possible we i met him on instant messenger i just sent him a message because i thought he was dope his name was blind fury he was like a, a freestyle artist anyway he could freestyle it's let off he was from philly he lived in um, Richmond, and I would go down to visit him, and uh, he was friends with, like, the Super Friends crew, and, um, like, Lonnie B and Skills and all of them. Anyway, he um, we would, he was real young, so I don't even know what he was doing around them because they were so much older than him. But um, we would go out, you know, go to open mics, and uh, the first open mic that I went to in Richmond 
I, you know, I was afraid to get on the mic. And I mentioned to somebody earlier about Elder Head Toucher, right? Because too complex is that the whole sample by Don Blackman is important to me. So I love that song. But the reason why that song is even more important because it's the first open mic I ever did. The first time I ever rapped was off of that too complex instrumental. And, um, you know, the instrumental starts playing. And I'm thinking, you know, my, my boyfriend at that time is rapping, but I'm really just there as his girlfriend. I'm not there as a as an artist, but I would come down and secretly record with him. You know, we would we would sneak off and like record stuff. And he's got all of these recordings now, which is even scarier because I'm like, he kept all of that and he showed me recently. But uh, we would sneak around and um, anyway, I was his girlfriend, but I jumped on the mic and Tribe of Judah was there. I think they were performing infectious organisms and then were performing that night. And uh, I saw the lioness for the first time and seeing lioness for the first time. I mean, it was just like, you know, pe some people be like, who's your favorite MC? Or they ask, like, what's your favorite female MC? To me, there is no one. I've not met anyone in physical form that is the has the power, power of what um, lioness had, like just she had a light that was so powerful and she was the smallest one. You know, she's the smallest one. She's a girl. And she was the rawest, most grittiest, most lyrical. I mean, you know, people think, I guess, whatever your, your top echelon of lyricism, if that's Lauren Hill, I'm like, she would destroy Lauren. You know, she, she's, she is, was that amazing to me and seeing her be able to do that was like some kind of alchemy and like seeing everybody in the room go silent when she jumped, when she got on stage. And it was like, she was in the back chilling. She come out, you know, her, her it just was it was just amazing the way that she would maneuver her her body language on stage and that for me was like a huge moment that changed everything when I saw her I just I for me that was a template of like I want to be like that right so that was like she's the rawest one in the crew but she's the smallest one nobody even knows that she's there so she's so she gets that mic in her hand and like everybody goes quiet and her whole crew went quiet. It's like, they knew what she was, you know, they knew she was this, this, uh, this, this supernova. Um, and seeing that I feel like definitely inspired me. But so I would go down to Richmond every weekend to spend time with my boyfriend. We would record. I met, you know, a lot of people there through, through him. Um, and we, we, we were able to make some, some fun songs, but that was like my first time recording too. And, you know, in his basement, I didn't really, or in his bedroom, we didn't have like a studio or anything, just recording his, in his bedroom. And then from there I met, somehow I wound up meeting another friend, um, who lived in Woodbridge and I would go down to Woodbridge all the time. Like, I mean, talk about like, I, what I went to college or I went to college at JMU. Mm -hmm. And I would leave and I would come up to Woodbridge. I would, you know, and so I started hanging out with my, my friends, Double O Schizo, a.k.a. AAC, um, V Sharp, who many people know, um, Matter of Fact, um, uh, Rafik, Occult Fiction, um, Naturel, when, when, when he was just a, a little thing at that time before he was selling artwork to Diddy and, you know, art director at Rockefeller and all that, or Rockaware. Before he did all of that, he was an aspiring MC too. And we had this crew we called, we called the Megatropolis. And that was kind of the start to, I feel like incubating a lot of what I was doing. So I was, well, I go from Richmond and go to Woodbridge. And so I spent a lot of time in VA with a lot of my folks there. And they, I mean, we would sit around, I felt like I found my tribe, you know what I mean? We sit around and 
we would do everything together. We were best friends, but it was like we were we were immediately family. And, um, you know, like I said, Double O Schizo taught me a lot about, I mean, just seeing, you know, there's, I hear people say a lot of things about beat makers, right? And I've seen the best of the best beat makers. I've seen Unknown. I've seen, I mean, Diamond D. I've seen so many. I've seen Prem. I've seen Pete Rock. I've seen so many. But I kid you not when I tell you what I have seen with Double O Schizo, I have never seen anybody be able to do the things that he can do, that he can like midi up anything, right? He could take a, he could take, he took my SK-1 keyboard, which is like Madlib's first keyboard. He was intrigued by that, took a digital camera and made like, uh, made a mixer out of the digital camera, took and reprogrammed the pads in my SK-1 keyboard, this little Casio keyboard, and made the way the sampling time like 15 seconds from two seconds. And to see him, I mean, we, he was like 16 years old, right? And, like, and, and he had, uh, yeah, just seeing what he could do, that changed a lot for me because I think that got me to thinking like what, like the way he would listen to a record, like and, and what he was zoning or what he was sample or loop versus what I would hear. And so it got me to doing beats, you know? So I think learning music in one way I learned from musicians, but I also learned from seeing the creativity of my friends make beats and like learning how to put swing on drums. Like I learned that from Vira, from V Sharp. So different things like that we learned as a crew and we were able to experience that growth together just going through, you know, life. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when was, um, what, what, what years was uh, Richmond for you? What, what years did that go down? Ooh, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Um, and then college and stuff, 2001 and two and, three, four, um, and that was mostly, like I said, the time spent in Richmond, I mean, time spent in Woodbridge and uh, with my friends and stuff. And then I moved back to Maryland. Um, I, I wound up, you know, getting married to one of those guys. And uh, <laughs> you know how that happens. We got married. It was really shortly. We, we were married for like six months and we were too young to even know what we were doing. I think we just, we just did it because it was like, it makes sense to do it. And um yeah, and then I think I moved back to Maryland at that time, and like people, they would come and visit me, come stay. We we were still, we would just have marathon sessions of, of uh, smoking and writing, and like that was it. But what I feel funny is like we had one compilation we did, one Omegatropolis compilation, but we did not do enough recording. Like we we spent we wasted a lot of time playing. You know, it's it's that's we were kids, and that's what you spend time doing. So yeah, that's huge. And then, uh, did you also make music with Lioness? Uh, did, you get, did you get a chance to? I did not. So I just relinked with Lioness because um, the guy that I was dating in Richmond just uh, plugged her in on the post that we we had um, on 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 basically talking about this episode. And I quoted and cited her. And he was like, I didn't know you know her. And he said, I just met her a few years ago. And she you know, and I'm thinking like, no, you didn't. You knew her because you introduced me to her like how many years ago? Nearly 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, and I, I see Enoch Seventh Prophet. He missed a shout out. I see he just has gotten on here, but um, yeah, because he was an <laughs> instrumental part of my my getting. So after you know, sort of having the courage to go rap on two complex and go to that one open mic, I came back you know to DC every weekend, um, every Friday for True School, which you know Enoch was a founding. Um, leader in and so going, coming there and learning how being around it from Artemis to Flex Matthews to Damuda, everybody that was there, right? Like just learning how to uh, 
um, I feel like having all the opportunities to master your craft in a way alongside peers and really get feedback. And I recognize now how those that really shaped me. Mm -hmm. And that really changed the trajectory, I feel like, of my of my hip hop journey. Mm. In connection times all this stuff, what you're talking about, um, how big was the U Street uh movement for you? Uh, you know, go to U Street. Oh, that was huge. So we so like I said, my friends, we were teenagers or you know, fr we were young. Um, some of them were not even like, like I said, V Sharp at the time, I think was probably like not even old enough to be hanging. He was like 15 at the time. We were like 18. So I don't know what he was doing hanging with us, but we would go down to um, U Street and uh, ride around and hop out on corners and freestyle and, you know, hop in a, do our own cypher, basically. And um, one time, you know, we're standing outside of Erico's or might have been Nyala. I forget which which club it was. But it was Erico's. And um, for me, Black Indian at that time was like it for me. Like I saw him perform somewhere and I was like, wow. And, and just the, in terms of like, for somebody, I value freestyle a lot. Like as so many people who are great writers, there's very few people who can do both and be off the top with with such fluidity and actually have meaning and and not and not be so wed to like it's got to be this right you know so you're you should be free enough to freestyle and make mistakes and be able to even correct your mistake like stuff like that that you learn you know when you say a word wrong and it becomes you know folklore like i got we got stuff from my group that or between our crew that like we said that was funny to us from 20 years ago that when we see each other now today we still make fun of like you know remember that time you said you know so it's that and seeing black indian just seamlessly do that and he walked, you know, came past and he stood out and he and he vibed with us for a minute. And he was the one who told me, he said, I don't know about everybody else, but you are dangerous. And I don't want you to ever stop. I want you to keep going. Like, just please keep going. Never, never quit. And from him, him saying those words to me, like I said, kind of unintended mentors, just just telling me that made me feel like so important out of all these people you know around me and hanging with me and he saw that and the week after i got picked to go um kamani used the kamani on cool used to run this program called can, can assist the rock a mic and he had picked me to do a set at um at automatic and i think that was 2004 and so i you know was getting ready to do the set and I was thinking of those words and just like, you know, the fact that like, I'm totally like shocked at this point in time. I have immense stage fright, which most people don't know. I mean, I have terrible stage fright to the point where like, before I come out, I can't eat or drink anything for hours because I can't. What? Yeah, serious. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, like I, I mean, it doesn't matter where I go to this day. I am, which is funny because I do public speaking for a living, right? All of those things. My day job is public speaking and sales, but I am, I have a mid-stage right. And so anyway, like going back to that moment, I feel like automatic, I was so scared to perform. And then thinking of that was what got me up there to perform. And, and my friend, matter of fact, was my DJ at that time, which most people don't know. He used to be a, a DJ and a beat maker just as well as he's an MC. And he was, um, you know, he was my, he was my hype man and uh, all of that. So we, we get on stage, we perform whatever. I, he did a song. I was his hype man. And um, yeah, it just, it was, it was awesome. So at Automatic 2004, I feel like that changed my life a little bit because that was the first time I really like performed for a crowd in a venue. And um, yeah, that was like a huge moment for me of just 
conquering nerves. And I thank Black Indian for those words that he said to me being a young kid and just sticking, just being like, I know now this is a real thing that I can do. Wow. Got a lot of people in here, man. Uh, so Strata. <laughs> um, so you, 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 you were telling me earlier um, when we were going over the whole set that you did, you produced a song for Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, so <laughs> this is funny. Actually, that song, um, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, mm -hmm. um, a, a gentleman hit me up. And uh, he was doing an anime reanimix um, where he takes anime and he remixes it with modern day songs. And he was like, I want you, you know, to be the um, head of the, I want you to be the theme song for it. And so he handpicked the song. He had, I, the song I, I mentioned like 2007, I went away for 2006, I believe towards the end of 2006. I think last thing I did was a, was a, um, a reunion for a Capital City Records uh, fundraiser thing at um, Keeley's Cafe. And after that, I, I, I got married. So I ran away kind of. An, I went to Africa um, for a while. <laughs> I went to Sub-Saharan Africa, to uh, Kenya and Tanzania to just kind of, it was for work, but I wound up staying for a while. And um, yeah. And so anyway, before I did that, though, I had, um, or after, I'm sorry, coming back, seven years hiatus. You think about like from 2000 to 2007, I was making music. And then from 2007 to 2014, I wasn't. And 2014, you know, I meet um, this guy named Technology. He's from uh, the Netherlands. And um, he has, a, has some beats. He's doing like a Dilla remix. It's like a remix series. And that's on his Dilla remix series tape. It's a song called Heaven Knows where he samples Esther Phillips. Now that song that he samples from Esther Phillips is so important to me because my uncle, Esther Phillips was on Total Experience Records, which my uncle I mentioned did the song Don't Stop the Music. He was signed to Total Experience Records and he wrote for Esther Phillips, Penny Ford. And like I said, the, 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 the Gap Band and stuff. So it was so important to do that song. When I heard the sample, I said, that's it. I know, and of course the sample is popularized by Mob Deep. Um, and a lot of other songs. But anyway, so he chose that song for um, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex. And what wound up happening, the song is somehow producer something. He, he runs a local television station where he would run the anime series through. And a producer from uh, Westworld on HBO called me, reached out to me on uh, SoundCloud at that time, which I thought was like just weird because I was like, Who, this has got to be a scam. But when I looked it up, right, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Um, and he reached out and said they wanted to license the song. Now, I, I was saying at that point in time, like, there was a lot of stuff I learned in the process about licensing songs. Because first thing he told me I needed to do was clear that sample, right? And he's like, um, do you know how to clear a sample? I'm like, I have no idea how to do that, what that even means, right? Like, I how do you do that? Because he's like, yeah, as you sampled the song, you're going to have to clear it. So anyway, I have to go through the National Music Publishers Association and do all this research on the sample, how many seconds we used of that sample, um, how many seconds in the song the sample runs, um, what the runtime of the song is, how many approximate views or impressions do I think that song will get. And at the time, this is on HBO, so I have no idea if they're going to use it for what, right? So, um when they license the song, they give you a, a per impression rate. They give you an advance up front, 
And I think for like a thousand dollars up front, I licensed that song and I signed off all the rights to HBO, which now I know right for a thousand for a thousand dollars after I paid out of my pocket to clear the sample, they didn't. So I had I have the rights to the Esther Phillips sample, but I got screwed because I got a thousand dollars, and then they you know got my BMI information and they pay me royalties on the song. But I don't. But of course, if they don't use that song on any show or whatever, right? Like I don't. Who's to say? And until I get the notification that they use that song or that producer uses it somewhere else, it's not like the royalties are going to pour in for that song. And I I basically sold my soul for a thousand dollars. Didn't know any better. So. You know, it's like now I know that and now, but I also learned how to clear the sample because they sent me through um, Harry Fox agency and I got all the information on that. And so once I did that, I like learned how to clear all my samples. I learned what the process is. I learned how to check to see if anybody else has ever cleared the sample, which is com conveniently a very interesting process. When you find out some of your hip hop classics, some of your favorite joints ain't been cleared before you, you touched them. But for $1,000, I signed that song over. So I own, no longer own the rights of that song. They have it, and they can play it whenever they want, for whenever they want. And they essentially get the majority of the proceeds. They get 80% to my 20%. Wow. Um, and so I didn't think, you know what I'm saying? And, and the contract, when it came, I was just so excited to license the song to HBO. And they're like, we're working on this new series called Westworld. And I didn't care what it was. I was like, go for it. Take the song and run, right? <laughs> Um, and so now I regret that because I'm just like, you know, and um, it took me back to that moment that my uncle, when he he wrote um, a, so a few songs for Gap Band, but the Don't Stop the Music, he fought for a long time because that song was recorded by Yarborough Peoples. And he wrote um, a, a bunch of songs for one of the songs he wrote, Oops Upside Your Head by the Gap Band. Um, the 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 producer for Total Experience Records named Lonnie Simmons stole the credits from him. And, um, you know, my uncle fought for years to get it back. Like he had to do all of this back paperwork. And I mean, it, it put a short timeline on his life, I feel like fighting to get a lot of those Gap Band songs back. And, um, and what it taught me is just right being careful about language and contracts and and then also take those lessons and share share with others. So now I'm like, anybody who wants to learn how to clear samples, come to me because I can teach you how to go through the process and teach you what, what you need to do, how to check to see if the sample's been cleared, right? Like just different things like that. Um, how many, if you're going to use it for digital rights, there's a whole different process. So you need to have physical rights and digital rights for the song. Um, and so, yeah, those kinds of things. And I'm just like, yeah. HBO screwed me, but I learned my lesson out of that. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That story's crazy. Yeah, don't stop the music is my joint. Yeah, the you know the little kids' voices when they don't they don't ever want to stop. No. So that's all my aunts and cousins and uh, and my grandmother, the, the rumor is that my uncle didn't even really write the song because my grandmother came up with that melody on guitar. She was playing dun 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 and he took that and turned it into a bass line. So anyway, that's what I heard <laughs> through the grapevine that my grandmother really came up with that melody. But anyway, but my, you know, that just went harking back to all those times that like you would hear my like the you know the the comment about the music industry is so dangerous and what it did to my uncle and you know coming back to that just thinking like years later right how even now just for you know some little Peasley song that I recorded that you know whatever gets gets stolen so by HBO um, but yeah that's a lesson learned. 
definitely a lesson learned. Yeah. But she just taught me something tonight, so it's all love. <laughs> definitely. Hopefully, if anybody needs it, they'll contact me, and I can give them some, some experiences on, like I said, clearing samples at least. So um, it's kind of the, another question for you um, that, that, we, that we went over. Um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of females, I feel like, in the industry, I feel like it's tough for, for females to, you know, especially in the hip-hop, you know, culture, you know, like to, to go through the music. What's your advice for, for up-and-coming female artists that want to pursue the art form um, the right way? Um, you know, I, I, it, the same thing I would give to anybody, especially for women, you got to learn, like, if this, is, if this is your calling, it's your calling, right? And I feel like there's, um, be dope. You know, there's a lot of people who try to, who wind up getting into music for so many wrong reasons. And oftentimes, those, like anything, it doesn't last if your heart isn't in it. And if, you, it, you know, you got to be prepared to music, the, the relationship with your, with your art is like the relationship with you and God. It is it is a spiritual experience and it is who it is what you are. And at the end of the night, when you lay down by yourself, it's just you and it, right? So when when you're making the music, it's just you and it. You can't be making it for somebody else. You can't be making it because somebody else thinks you should be making something that sounds a certain way. You have to be true and authentic to what is you. So I feel like no different from women, but even more so be prepared for like all those kinds of moments that are going to come that are crippling you know and that people um someone recently said to me well i don't know how you avoided you know these all these things that are in the industry that just you know you get preyed upon and i'm like but but it is an industry that preys on you art preys on you art by itself is a very kind of it is a is a predatory kind of a thing right it's like you are a host for this gift and it can very much be a curse when harnessed in the wrong way so you gotta have your intentions right and I feel like that is, you know, I didn't necessarily was protected. I feel like a lot of the times I would do what was what I felt like I did music and I would leave. I didn't get involved in personal conversations and personal situations with people. I did what what, you know, was real for me and authentic for me. And it wasn't that I needed to sit around and, you know, do whatever. Like I can smoke with you and roll. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't have to have the other pieces and so sometimes when you sit around and you think about like like anybody you know my father used to tell me stick and move don't let people clock you and my grandfather taught me that and so <laughs> you never let people know what you're doing too much you know you never let people be able to time their watch to you and so i i would always get in and out and like everybody probably could tell you that i'm not i don't linger long um and you got to really have a personal relationship with me for the, for me to do that. And I feel like just people need to protect themselves in anything. But, you know, women, because of the vulnerability of just, you know, where you are in this art form where you're not the majority, you know, in the same way that we have to be mindful. And, you know, as when you when you walk outside of your brown person, right, you're, you're mindful of your place in the world. You have to be mindful of that as a woman. And I've always felt like that is, you know, that is just something that comes across industry. Doesn't matter whether or not you're in, in music, whether you're painting, whether you're a doctor, a physician, whatever, you are responsible for, for being aware of your situation. And so I just feel like I'm aware of that. I, I've always been aware that I'm a woman, but because I've been around 
like I said, going from being in my grandfather with my grandfather at Ebony, and I mean, it's a strip club, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was three and four years old, five years old. So I'm privy to conversations that maybe some women may not have been privy to for their lives. I'm privy to, and I've seen, you know, those, I've seen bad stories happen oftentimes because people are not sort of mindful of their, of their being. Um, and sometimes they're in it for the wrong reason. You know, you in it for you to get, get fame or for you to be seen, you're probably not going to make it very long doing this. It's definitely well said. Definitely well said. Um, Ronnie Rod is in here. Felonius is in here. Mark Cooper. Juma. Shout out to Juma. Shout out to, to Slim Cat. Um, yeah, Juma has also been... I'm going to give Juma a shout out too because... Juma has been somebody who's been a new mentor for me and has been like, I mean, drop gems and stuff for me that, you know, timeless stuff that like makes a difference. And so you got to know, to me, mentorship is not just the stuff you want to hear, right? It's also the stuff of being able to pull somebody aside and tell them the stuff they don't want to hear or stuff that they may not feel comfortable hearing, right? And so shout out to Juma for, for kind of keeping me on my toes and re reminding me that of that. I don't surround myself with yes men, and I'm I'm fortunate that my friends that I grew up with, like I mean to this day, you know, they used to call me Rizza for a reason, but they they called me that because it was like they were oh we're 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 can we're July babies and just the energy I guess is the same, but they would call me Rizza all the time on, on when I made beats. They say oh everything you do sound like Rizza, but is <laughs> at the time right I thought that was such a diss, but it wasn't. It was them kind of trying to like incubate with me like follow that path because you might be able they'd be like Riz is gonna kidnap you one day he's gonna find you <laughs> and like i don't know what's gonna happen y'all gonna merge and what like they would always say that to me but i i kind of got the in many ways they would make me confident because they did teach me about drum sequencing and like you know there's certain things that as an mc i feel like a lot of people may not know how to do but if there's anything i know how to do like i know how to pick my drums i know what a bass line is supposed to sound like and my father used to tell me even like to this day. So I like to know where the sample comes from. I don't want you to just give me a sample. If I can't figure it out off GP where it came from, if I can't listen to it, I want to know the origin of it because that, that sample had original musicians that played on it and they had a different, they had energy and I want to be able to connect, connect with what the song is telling me. So for yeah. me, you got to know, like, my friends weren't shy about that. They tell you in a minute when something is whack or tell you in a second when, like, hey, them drums is, you know, hey, Slim, you're going to have to get off the drums. Ain't you know, they'll tell you. Them hi-hats, you know, they used to joke and be like, if you come with them with them nice wonder hi-hats, you know. So, I mean, I, you know, so anyway, anyway if, v, if V Sharp is on here, he he has a ninth wonder hi-hat. That's an a explanation I have to tell you. Or Pete Rock snares. We, we real, like, that's that's how deep, though, we would get on, you know, into beats. They, like, examine, for me, what a snare should sound like and how it should sound. And, you know, so just different stuff like that that I hadn't even thought about. Like, we listen to Mad Lib, and they would be pointing out different stuff of, like, no, you see, when he did this, you know, he transitioned here. That means, you know, so we would sit and explore the song. It wasn't just, like, writing and making music. From them, it was a whole entire 360 process and I'm so fortunate that I got to be around them because it made me sharp enough that now you know and growing up in a household with a jazz musician father like there's probably no sample of live that you can play that I don't pick out and you know like that um and so 
I feel honored that I got a chance to have that experience too. Super dope. <laughs> what um, what projects are coming down a pipeline for you? You got anything in the works right now? Yes. So I'm working on my album, A Tell of Two Masters. Um, kind of speaks for itself about you can't you know serve two masters. It's in the Bible. It's in texts that predate the Bible. I'll say that. And um, essentially about whether or not you can serve two masters, right? Can you serve, you know, sky and can you serve the earth at the same time? What does that look like? Because there's correspondence and duality and everything, but can you actually uh, officially be a mother and a, and a musician? It's, it's, it, those things are conflicting because music requires all of you. It requires, it's a self-sacrifice. It requires you to, to remove yourself from all things. You have to be wed to it. Um, can you be a lover and be a musician? You know, all those different things. And so I feel like this album explores that a little bit, all of the different things from like being a student and full-time student um, in grad school and trying to do that while I'm working full-time and then doing music at the same time and, like pe and being a, a mother, right? People would ask me all the time, I don't know how you, you know, I come to work and they're like, I don't know how you do this. You come to work and you're wholesale put together and then I go to school and I'm like, you don't understand the dominoes are collapsing inside, but I can't let this, I never let this collapse because the way, you know, I was raised was that this exterior is, guard, is, is my protection for my soul at this point. So I can't let this collapse for too much. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so that is kind of what the album talks about. It's uh, the album cover artwork is like me and two different kind of uh, tarot cards. It uses tarot cards and thinks about like how right one card can represent two things. So the full card, for instance, can represent one thing or it can represent another. And so this is iteration of this woman who has these symbols around her, an ankh, a scarab, some other things that are important to me. And, um, and then the other image, everything is reversed. And so it's people, you know, I've asked them like, which one is good or evil? And it kind of reminds me of like women with, with the tat women with the tattooed hands by slug. People probably don't remember that song, but that's okay. On Lucy 40 P long time mm -hmm. ago. Uh, you remember it? Monk? Oh, yeah. I got, I got that record on vinyl actually. Okay. Uh, so remember it's like, it's good and evil in each individual. Okay. Anyway, mm -hmm. that, that song, I feel like that was manifestation of this album. So anyway, that is coming. And then I'm working on uh, a project with Unknown um, called uh, Running From, it's a long title. It's like Running From Dawn While Chasing Shadows at Midnight. And it's supposed to be sort of a compilation of anthology. So all this, uh, a compilation of mythology, sorry. So think like I have a song about the Kraken on there where I'm personifying the Kraken. I have a song about poltergeist. I have a song about um, the major arcana, which is a lot to do with tarot cards and uh, that kind of stuff. So I, it's just mythology of all different sorts. And so that album is coming. And then I'm working on Sky God part two at the same time which is interesting because that is kind of a more black exploitation uh, project. And so um, I, uh, people tend to caught the fact that it was like sexually charged. And I jokingly, I keep saying to myself all the time, I have to let people know, like sexuality is natural. There is nothing wrong with it. You know, my son is nine years old and knows what an orgasm is. I don't think that he shouldn't, right? It's sort of like there's, there's a way to teach that. So that, that, but I mean, do I want him to learn it from me or do I want him to learn it, you know, in the wrong way? 
Yeah. And so there has to be, I was just taught that alongside my father would teach the Bible to me. We would read the Bible and he would explain when people had, you know, and, and it was like, like I would jokingly say, when somebody begets somebody, it was, that was some sex going on. And you, and I learned how to be responsible, right? With my body and learn how to be responsible about my sexuality. So it's not, it wasn't intended to be sexually or hypersexual. It was supposed to be about the idea of, you know, a lot of the times people think that when you rap in a second about those those concepts, they all say, oh, well, th you know, this person is whack. Well, you know, Kim is one of my favorite rappers. Um, I could cite OC in a verse and Kim in the same verse, you know. So I'm like, just as much as I think OC is dope, I think little Kim is dope. Um, but being able to express yourself, that's a part of your life. And I don't walk outside. I'm not a eunuch. I'm not asexual. I like I enjoy sex. I think it's okay to say that I do, right? So I say all these other things and nobody's is, is complaining, right? When I'm aiming my sword at people and decapitating people and I'm, you know, saying a bunch of other stuff in my rhyme. But the idea that you have an orgasm on, on album, oh my God, this is, this is salacious. And so it's like, if the best thing that I can do is have, I'm going to have as many orgasms as I can for the rest of my life and I'm going to enjoy them and I'm going to write about them. So anyway, so Sky God Part 2 is coming. <laughs> coming, and I mean coming, when I say with a C, not a cat, um, and a U, not an O. Uh, coming is obviously spelled with a C, so I need to say that. But with the, with the U, not an O. Um, and then lastly, I'm working on... Um, I know all these different projects are going on, but uh, the solution out of Montreal, out of Ottawa, and I are working on a Pam Greer um, tribute. And I have Eternia, who people might know from Canada, um, is on that album. So I'm looking forward to releasing that too, because it's one of my favorite female MCs growing up was Eternia. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to like us having an opportunity to trade versus. So I can't wait for people to hear that. That's all. Or that, that whole album. Has, and then uh, a, bunch has, of, a bunch of loose stuff that is just whatever, you know, what comes next. <laughs> <laughs> has uh has this whole COVID thing made it easier for you to make progress in your music or has it kind of been a little more difficult for you? It was it was difficult. It was touch and go for a minute. I was I was I was struggling. Shout out to um all the people who asked me to do features because y'all got me off my ass for real. Um, Mark Cooper, shout out, I saw you on here, asked me to do a feature with him. We were just featured on Montre in Montreal on top five with like Burner Boy and Sample the Great and like a bunch of people. So I'm happy that we did that song on his project. Um, and I worked on some stuff with uh, Hike Keach and Artemis and I mean, a lot of different people that like I've done about seven or eight features I worked on. For Final Fantasy VII fans, I worked on the Buster Sword Cipher, where I took the um, took the side as Tifa Lockhart, and I just got a huge opportunity out of taking that verse. I'm so excited about what's coming next out of that. That's going to lead me into new dimensions with sort of um, thinking about that. But anyway, for for video game fans, I've got some interesting, fun news coming that'll be. Very exciting okay. to share. Well, as soon as the ink is dry, I'll share it. But I can't right now because it's still not dry yet. I don't have a contract in hand. Oh, and then you know what? Shout out to Team Demo because I'm also working on an EP with Team Demo. Um, that's correct. That I mean, I'm, when I tell you crazy monk, like I don't think anybody's ever heard me rap like this. Um, this project is called Hell and High Water. Is total. 
I mean, boom, back, crazy. Like, so anyway, Team Demo and I are working on something too. So I'm just, I've got like 70 projects coming. Yeah, you're definitely busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for that Team Demo one though. Definitely keep my ears off for that one. Yeah. yeah, that is, Um. yeah, Jay and I, I mean, we've been saying we wanted to work together for years and now it was just, it was time and like, it was, um, you know, shout out to Bad C because I think he kind of made that interaction happen even more so with me and Team Demo and like, yeah, so definitely looking forward to, to getting started on that and just being there, just, just sitting down and picking out beats was crazy with them because, you know, it's just... It's insane, their their ear. So I'm looking forward to doing that too. So I'm like, I'm busy. I'm writing, I'm recording. Um I'm I've got my, my stuff together now. COVID couldn't keep a good girl down. So <laughs> I'm I'm back and I'm better, you know what I'm saying? Okay. This is the part of the episode where uh I get you the open platform on anything you want to say to everybody or just get out there and open uh, before we wrap this episode up. Ooh. Um, you know, I, I don't, I guess, what, what would I say? So quickly, because I feel like this is, some, this is, um, I feel like the, the, the ears and the eyes are constantly open and we, we see all these things happening constantly and, um, the press, sorry, that's my speaker uh, going on and off, but all of these things happen in, in, in the press. And I feel like the court of opinion public opinion is the most dangerous thing that's ever been made, right? I feel like there's stories floating around all around all of there about this and about that. And I'll just encourage people to take your time, be patient before you make judgments on anyone. You know, there's two sides to every story. There's, and there's the truth somewhere as well. And it doesn't take long before the truth, the truth comes out. You don't have to hide it. It's never wrong. And you don't have to, it doesn't, it doesn't run. Um, and so, you know, actions speak louder than words to me. So I just watched that and I try to stay away from it, accepting a lot of that stuff in my, you know, energy. Cause people was like, did you watch the Jaguar, right? Like not real. I kind of did, but you know what? I got to protect my energy too, because me if allowing trauma into my space is, is not healthy for me either. And I, I give the sister a right to purge. Like, you should be able to purge whatever you want, but be mindful as you make opinions. Because when people start saying, well, what, what grievance do you have with the person? And you don't even know. It's because some wrong that they did against someone else, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. And so I just try to, I don't inherit beef. And I keep telling people this. Don't inherit beef. Don't eat somebody else's meatballs. Please don't. Like, eat your own. Order your own meatballs. Order your own steak and cheese. Don't eat somebody else's because you don't want to inherit beef that you don't even know the origin of. So I like to leave people with that to be like, fine, you know, worry about you, put your, put your oxygen mask on and make sure that's on. And uh, don't worry about what else is happening. And like the universe will sort out everything else. That's all I have to say about that. You don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Prowess, uh, tonight was a very honor, man. I'm very honored to have you on tonight, and you definitely dropped some gems tonight for all of us. So I'm definitely grateful. And um, we're gonna be, we'll be doing some more stuff together, you know, in the future. So for sure. Yes, I'm. I'm glad to um to do this. And thanks, Monk. A lot of people don't know we met at IOTA. What probably about five years ago. Five years um, ago, yep. Yeah, and uh, with No and uh, lyrics and 
So I'm excited to to be, you know, just a, a part of this whole thing. And, and thanks for inviting me. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next couple of um, ladies you're talking to with Dior Ashley Brown and, uh, and Tony Blackman and hearing their perspectives. And uh, yeah, this is an awesome series you're doing. And shout out to everybody who's watched or watching now. Appreciate you, you for checking me out it's while Versus is happening because I know y'all want to see, you know, T.T. Boy and what's the other dude, Rick Ross, the correctional officer dude. Y'all must see them. But y'all here with us instead, so I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> Love y'all. Have a good yeah. night, y'all.